Welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And each episode, we try and bring you an intellectually honest discussion about news and events affecting Bitcoin. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and share. So the past couple of weeks have been kind of a slow news cycle in the world of Bitcoin, However, Matt, you and I were lucky enough to go to a fireside chat put on by the Atlanta BitDevs. And at that chat, they had Hester Pierce, who is one of the five commissioners for the SEC. That's right. And, and I thought we heard a number of interesting things that evening. What, uh, what's one of the things that, that you thought was particularly interesting or that struck you? Well, I think Maybe what struck me the most, first of all, I thought that Hester Pierce was a very thoughtful and knowledgeable person. Um, she made it pretty clear that she's maybe the only of the five commissioners that um, spends their time studying Bitcoin and crypto. And um, I thought that she was was really knowledgeable and helpful in, in helping kind of, to, kind of to understand the process that the SEC is going through um, with relation to to these assets. Um, the other main takeaway that I had is that in general, the SEC is using a sledgehammer where they should be using a scalpel. Hmm. Um, they are, uh, taking a very broad stroke approach and they kind of view all of these assets in, in a bucket, um, with a little bit of differentiation, but for the most part, uh, they're approaching them as if they're all the same. And it, it struck me that there isn't, at least at this point, a clear um, consensus within the SEC whatsoever that, you know, Bitcoin is different than the other cryptocurrencies. Yeah, that was, I would say that was one of the more disappointing things that we heard. But I also thought her explanation made a lot of sense, which was that they're they really don't know much about this. And to them, they don't really care about the nuance that Bitcoin is a certain thing and all these other things are, let's call them replicas or imposters, whatever word you want to use. But that it was all just lumped into the crypto bucket. And and we know because we see this in our personal lives. People will will, will lump Bitcoin in with, with crypto. And Matt, I know I've been around you countless times where you said, Bitcoin, not crypto. Right. But but to these these regulators and these government officials, they aren't going to spend the time to study it, to listen to the podcast, to read books, to really get into the nuance of why Bitcoin is one of the greatest inventions in the history of man and why 99.9% .9 of the altcoins are garbage. Yeah, I think that she made it really clear that they're not getting anywhere close to that level of nuance, really to any level of nuance. Mm -hmm. um, and almost that, you know, I, I would say this is consistent with with most government is that they kind of take a lazy approach to it in the sense that I feel like in many situations, they would rather the problem come to them than for them to try to solve the problem in advance. 
Um, so they want to mm -hmm. be able to say, okay, this person did something bad. Now we can use that as a way to create a framework to regulate it, as opposed to saying, we understand these things. Here's how we think they should be regulated. Would you say that's more of a reactive approach, like something breaks and then the solution is to, okay, well, something's broken. We can come in with our big hammer, solve it very quickly. And no one's going to complain that we, we used a sledgehammer where we should have been using a scalpel. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, um, there's certainly some of that. It, it makes it makes them have to do less work, but at the same time, she also made it clear that there are some very sophisticated people working on various areas of the cryptocurrency space and that there are people who understand it and that they are taking a hard look at, at it. But I got the sense that maybe that was from more of an enforcement perspective, meaning that they have the ability to know when somebody has clearly violated a securities regulation. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what they'll, you know, they'll use to enforce violations of those regulations. Um, but I, I just didn't get the sense that there's really any cohesive approach to, to how they're going to deal with these things. I would agree. And, and this may sound a bit cynical, but judging by what she said, you really got a bit of visibility into the, I'm going to say the politics of how this stuff works and also the incompetence of the people involved. Meaning they're not trying to solve problems. They're not trying to really make something great. So we'll use something like AI and ChatGPT that has been uh, been quite uh, impactful in the world over the past month or two, mm -hmm. right? And I guarantee you that well, I know Google's scrambling because they've got something coming out, but I guarantee you, and Microsoft invested in ChatGPT, but I guarantee mm -hmm. you that all over Silicon Valley and all these tech companies and anyone involved in, in tech is now having meetings, maybe some panic meetings on what are we going to do? How do we incorporate this? How do we use this to our advantage? How do we protect ourselves from what may come from this? They're really looking out into the future. And this is a guess. I, I can't say for sure, but I know mm -hmm. it's definitely happening in some places because that's the way that private business works a lot of time, which is that people involved in private business are trying to figure out where things are going, where they're going to be, and they want to position themselves to be in, in the correct spot later. Whereas when you deal with government, and I got this from, from uh, Hester Pierce, is that they just don't really want to step out of line too much. That, like, that's more of a concern. Like, I just don't want to get too far out of line with this. Mm -hmm. uh, as well as the different governmental agencies all jockeying for position for who gets to have more power yeah. and control. Well, and that was a really interesting part of it as well, which is that you've got, there are so many uh, regulatory bodies that could, in theory, have a say in, in what goes on in the space. Mm -hmm. um, the SEC is just one of several. You know, mm -hmm. on top of that, you've got the Fed, you've got... Um, the CFTC, you've got FinSec, you've got OCC, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, all of these various uh, governmental agencies that, you know, all want to be uh, law enforcement heroes, for lack of a mm -hmm. better term. I mean, these mm -hmm. are executive agencies mm -hmm. and they they want to uh, all have their say in how this, this stuff gets regulated. Right. And 
And with that, who knows what direction it's really going to go in. But part of part of what I heard I thought was pretty encouraging in that it sounded like they just didn't know what to do. And one of the things she described was that they they were used to working in a system that was essentially a hundred plus years old. Mm-hmm. They knew the players in the system. They knew how the system worked. They were really familiar with it. And they were, I'll use the term, experienced in dealing with it, maybe even skilled in dealing with it. But now something new came along. And they don't know what to do with it. Because yeah, there, there's, there's no one before them has created a path has solved this for them so they're in this really weird spot where one they've never really had to do anything new before right Right. the people work it's just all been the same whether you have technology that's helping in the delivery of things but they've never had a new asset to deal with and i got the feeling from her that they were a bit like deer in headlights with it Absolutely. They, um, there it's such a, and look, it, it's less than a hundred year old institution It hasn't been around mm-hmm. that long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and when the sec was formed, it really came out of the, the great depression and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you had enormous financial collapse and this was the agency that was put in place to, uh, to help protect, you know, retail consumer, retail investors mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. from being, you know, taken advantage of. And it's really focused on that aspect of it for almost a hundred years. Um, and so it makes sense that, that you could say that this is just everything they've, they've done has always been based on these traditional assets and working within the existing system. And so when you have something like Bitcoin and, and crypto that kind of turns a lot of those traditional assets on their head. It makes sense that they wouldn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it also, you know, it begs the question, like, you know, the, the one thing I was thinking about when she was talking about this, she talked a little bit about the spot ETFs and, and grayscale. And, you know, her position is that there, she doesn't, see why there shouldn't be a spot ETF. And what I was thinking about when she was talking about this is that she made the comment that they're just not really sure, you know, how to treat it and how to come in and regulate it as a, you know, to that there's nobody regulating the Bitcoin spot market. Well, if you take a gold ETF and you look at how that's being regulated, you know, why couldn't you just use that as a model or a starting point to figure out how to do it with Bitcoin? It's, Mm. you know, there, you have precious metal ETFs, you have, you know, commodity index ETFs, Mm -hmm. it it seems like it would be a natural progression to, you know, to start with that as your framework. Um, But it seems like they're, you know, maybe even too paralyzed to to do that. That's if they are trying to. And that's also if they're, if they are uh, really trying to focus on Bitcoin, or if they're really trying to focus on the rest of the crypto. And I got a feeling from her, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, that a lot of their attention is on crypto, not on Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I think 
I, I would go even a step further and say that I think their focus may be more on um, exchanges and mm-hmm. on certain crypto projects that are clearly unregistered securities. I, I got the mm-hmm. sense that that's probably what they're looking towards the most. But I think, you know, from a political standpoint, it, it makes it also makes sense that they would be looking at exchanges, you know, in the wake of FTX and 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 trying to step in and say, okay, if you're going to run an exchange, then we're going to have to have a say in, in what's going on there. Well, that would make sense if you think about what the SEC does and the sure. you know the, the the world of finance right now. That that's sort of what their wheelhouse is. Right by definition, right? that's mm-hmm. kind of what they're you know they are the Security Exchange Commission. So if you're exchanging right. securities and right, right. you can deem that crypto assets are are in fact securities, then um, it would follow that that's who would regulate it. Mm-hmm. But uh, once again, so you do you think a lot of their focus is on not not necessarily the mechanics of exchange, but in the in the marketplace of digital assets, that their attention is more on uh, the crypto space. Because she mentioned DeFi to us, that that was a particular big area of interest to her. Mm-hmm. And I'll be transparent here: DeFi is of very little interest to me personally. Yeah, it's not um, a thing against DeFi. It's just that I don't have much. It's not particularly exciting to me. Well, what I would say is that based on the way that she framed it, it sounds like she's kind of the lone wolf in the group. Mm, um, sure. So even if she's, if she is really focused on DeFi, you know, there's a good chance that her, her colleagues on the commission have no idea what DeFi is. Not, you know, that's generalizing, mm-hmm. but that, you know, they haven't gone far enough down the path to even understand the difference between a DeFi protocol and Bitcoin and a, you know, and some other Ethereum based token or whatever it's, you know, so there are, um, there's a definite lack of knowledge on the commission. That doesn't mean there's the same lack of knowledge on the staff who's spending their day, you know, studying this stuff, but ultimately the commission is the one that causes things to happen. Right. Right. And I also think in the world of what they'd be regulating, are they really concerned about something like a Coinbase where people can go and they can buy Bitcoin using funds from their bank account? And there's no staking going on or anything like that. People just buying, let's just call it a version of digital gold just Mm -hmm. to make it easy. And there's really nothing where consumers are being hurt by that, assuming that the the exchange doesn't steal money from you and the exchange sells you the real Bitcoin, right? And the exchange right. lets you pull that Bitcoin off the exchange and store it privately. The consumer is, is not being hurt in any way there. They're, they're just enabling, making sure that the, the consumer can find a trustworthy exchange to use and that the exchange follows all the rules. And so sure. with that, it's, it's beneficial to the yeah. consumer. And, and in the case of Coinbase, it goes a step further, which is, you know, they're, they're a public company and they've got a report on what they're doing and they have to have um, audits done and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really see that as what they're targeting so much as um, really the things that, um, that are allowing consumers to make decisions that, you know, 
that reasonable people shouldn't make in terms of, you know, mm. put a hundred dollars in and we'll pay you 30% interest on it. You know, no questions asked. And, mm. you know, that's the type of thing that I think they're going to take exception with. I agree. I, I, I'll say that on a more general level with what was talked about, I just got the sense that they were lost. Mm-hmm. Now we know Gary Gensler knows he knows Bitcoin. He knows what Bitcoin is. I've watched his course. So yeah. he knows what Bitcoin is. So, but he's very much a political animal. For I think sure. they're all political animals, right? Uh, they're all appointed for five years and, and they're, they're all independent. And they're partisan. So for sure. And, and, and the commission set up that way on purpose to, there is a balance of, of, partisanship on the commission but uh but yeah they're definitely political politically driven um Mm -hmm. for sure i thought that was one of the interesting things that i had no clue about before uh before that chat which was that there can be no more of the five people on the sec commission there can be no more than three of the party in power the president's party. President's party, right? Yeah. President's party, exactly. Right. right. So, so right now, yeah, right. Um, and I believe um, uh, Hester Pierce was a uh, Republican appointee by Trump. She was. That's what mm-hmm. she said. Mm-hmm. Although she's going for another five-year commission, it, even though she's still a Republican appointee. What do you mean she's going for another five-year commission? So her, I think her term is up in like 2025. 2025, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's, she has, she's had more than one five-year term. It's like five years term plus a three-year term or something. Right. Like she replaced somebody. Right. So she, she didn't get her full five years. So she's had extra time there mm-hmm. is what she was saying. Right. But, but my point being that she's made it through administrations of multiple parties and, you know, continues to, to serve. And so. I, mm-hmm. I thought she was, I thought she was very, very knowledgeable and thoughtful um, and political. She stopped short of answering several questions that I think, uh, you know, could have been more politically biased if, if she had gone down the path, but uh, she kept it in check. It was good. Mm-hmm. I, I was, uh, I, I was, I was impressed and pleased with what I saw. I think we need more like her. Mm-hmm. I really do. Uh, and her knowledge of the material was to be commended. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I don't think the other four members of the SEC, well, Gary Gensler knows, but I don't think the other three members of the SEC commission have uh, anywhere near the knowledge of her. And I was also surprised by her, uh, her what seemed like her genuine passion for it, like the the podcast that she listens to, that she's just genuinely right. curious Uh about the material, but I, I also got the sense that she's not a Bitcoiner. No. Um, yeah, I actually, after we left, I was like, oh, someone, or I should have asked her if she owned Bitcoin. That would have been a good question. <laughs> that would have been a good question. Um, anything else on this that you can think of? Um, not really. I mean, I think it was, you know, it was a treat to get to hear somebody at that level talk about what's going on, even though, you know, I would say we didn't get a ton of, uh, concrete answers on where things are headed, but I don't know that she knows or anyone else at this point knows. 
I don't think there are concrete answers on where it's headed. The thing that I got most was that they don't know what to do. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, she said that not just them, but the, the people in Congress have so many issues on their plate Mm-hmm. But they're not, we may be thinking about this. This may be an area of interest to us. We may be spending time each week pondering things and keeping up with news and trying to figure out where things are going and thinking about how each thing affects uh, Bitcoin adoption, et cetera. But she reiterated a few times that they've got so much on their plate that they're just not, they're not thinking about until right. something comes up. It's not a priority. Definitely not a priority. Definitely not. Um, and that's an interesting thing I'd like to bring up as far as the priority. This is a discussion that you and I had, I think a couple of weeks ago, not on a podcast though, that in some ways you could view Bitcoin as being this game that was released on the world. And it, it, the game was going to be Bitcoin against, I, I don't know, who do you want to? put as the other party in the world the i'll call it the help me out here matt who's who's the other who's the other player in this game uh, central Cent- banks central banks thank you thank you yeah that is the right player actually so the idea is that once this game is released on the world that you only have a certain amount of time to kill it before the incentives of the game make I'm just going to use Bitcoin, make Bitcoin too strong. So one of the incentives we've seen is the decentralization of mining where mm-hmm. we've got, it must be millions. I don't know the exact number. There's got to be millions of individual computers com- essentially decentralized that are all supporting this network and making it the most powerful monetary network in the world, the most powerful computer network in the world, the most secure computer network in the world. And I think I may be missing one, but the point is, is reliable that, uptime, reliable too uptime for sure. That's crazy how reliable it is. But the, the point is that uh, in some ways it may be too late and in other ways, never underestimate the power of government and how they can do it. You know what they can do. You won't stop it necessarily, but. When I when I use that and I overlay that idea of that very, very complicated game, which is a lot of game theory and incentives in it, it's really it's it's uh it's one of those things that initially looks very simple, but it's one of those I know that you know that I know that you know that right. I know that you know. It sort of goes forever, almost like looking into multiple mirrors where it just kind of goes forever. And I wonder if these uh, politicians and regulators really have the tools to take, I'm sorry, really have the tools and knowledge to be strong players in this game, if that's even possible, because I I don't know. I'm not saying that we should never have the hubris that governments can't do anything about Bitcoin. What they can do is stop you from interacting with it. Right. That That's really what I think is the risk. But the, the other thing to what you were saying is that the pace at to which, the, yeah, yeah. But the pace at which these things move um, through government um, is honestly no match for Bitcoin. And, Correct. and so the way that I think about that is you've got 
you might have a group of people and let's just, you know, be optimistic or pessimistic, maybe depending on how you look at it. But let's just assume that tomorrow Congress woke up and decided that they were going to come up with a um, logical and reasonable regulatory framework for Bitcoin and say other crypto, whatever um, that they just, they decided despite what Hester Pierce says, this is their, this is now their top priority and let's get something done. Well, okay. When does something actually get done and what happens to Bitcoin between now and the time that that gets done and what happens other than a block getting laid down every 10 minutes, which is going to continue to happen no matter what um, with, you know, thousands of transactions in each of those blocks. Um, aside from that, you've got, um, increased investment into Bitcoin related businesses. You've got development of applications around Bitcoin. You've got just overall adoption happening. Um, you know, and so to your point about the game, it, even if the, the other side of the, of the game um, were to, you know, decide that they wanted to become strong players by the time they were able to implement that, um, Bitcoin's going to be even further down the road than it is mm -hmm. right now. So it's, you know, it, it gets very hard to catch at that point. Well, I think that the government's been playing a, a cat and mouse game with, in a lot of industries. I mean, the, the illegal drug trade, for example, they haven't been able to stop illegal drugs, maybe in Singapore, but the U.S. government's right. never been able to stop illegal drugs uh, ever. And they've put, we have a war on drugs been going on for 50 something years. So they've been mm -hmm. actively saying this is a hundred percent illegal. You, you, you know, they have these crazy laws that if you, you know, three strikes and you go to prison for, is it for life or 25 years, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so just because you make something illegal doesn't mean it's going to stop. You know, killing people is illegal. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but when we, I think what, what the point I was trying to make is when I overlay that concept on top of what we heard, as far as the, the, the inner workings that we were exposed to understanding that was a very minimal amount of the inner workings for the SEC, but it's still the best window that I think you and I have had into that process. Mm -hmm. Certainly was for me. You realize that it's uh, it's a very interesting dynamic because you've got these people that really don't know how to deal with it, don't really know what it is, aren't forward thinkers, are much prefer past to be laid for them and just to follow the same guide that was there before, up against this very unique thing that can't be stopped, that has this game theory and very powerful incentive structure built in. And... It will be interesting, I think, when we finally have this showdown, if there is ever a showdown, because uh, Bitcoin, in a lot of ways, is an unstoppable force. So what's that adage? Like, what happens when unstoppable force means yeah. an immovable object? Yeah. So we may see that. I don't know. I hope we don't. I hope that they are are much smarter about this, but I don't have a ton of optimism for that. Yeah. Um no, I, I, I agree. And I think that, um, again, there's, there's not there's, a whole lot that you can do, you know, the decentralized nature of this thing makes it 
very, very difficult to, to kill. Um, almost impossible in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it doesn't have to be killed to be crippled. Um, it could be, uh, it, it could become to where it's very difficult to, to get into or out of, um, those assets. Um, but you know, maybe one of the, the upsides of that is that if the ability to for it to interact with the existing monetary system goes down, um, the in my view, I would see the, the value and the ability to to continue, to now use it as a medium of exchange would go up tremendously. Because if you um, if you have less of an ability to con- to convert Bitcoin to dollars, for example, then you have more of an incentive to use your Bitcoin as your primary currency. Uh, I think that's really smart, really, really smart. And I agree. Uh, that's that's the 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 problem is is that when you when you ban it, right, the price goes up. And then and this is anything, whatever you ban, sure. the price goes up, right? That's just that's not Bitcoin. That's just everything. But considering the fact that Bitcoin has baked into it, it's a Venmo. Right, right. It's a Zell. It it actually functions. It actually works, and it can work for you to send anything from you to anyone anywhere on the planet. In that's essentially instant. Right. It's just there's no no barriers for you to send money to someone in Nigeria or Portugal or England or Australia. Yeah, over lightning, this- over lightning you can call it instant on on chain. Right, it's not instant, right. but it's still faster than sending a wire. Right, but lightning is a real thing, right? Lightning has Absolutely. like 5000 bitcoins on it now. So, you know, the, so the thing is is that you may be in a situation where when you need to call a plumber out to your house, it's $500 for the plumber. Or it's X number of Satoshis. And and if you, we're just going to call it $500 if you pay cash and $400 if you pay in Bitcoin because it's so hard to get. <laughs> right. And you know, this people have been doing this. Actually, this is actually happening in Nigeria. The price they're paying in Nigeria is what, like double what we're paying? Yeah, here? I think it's about right. double. Um, mm-hmm. It's at least double um, because they're doing it all peer-to-peer and that's what they're using. So the value of it goes up. Right. So that's the downside. That's the problem with using that sledgehammer is that there are consequences. You're also going to open up opportunities for other countries to take the lead, because if you think you're going to kill it, you're not right. And, you know, there's a lot of geopolitical craziness going on in the world right now. We are seeing this bifurcation with the BRICS countries, something we've Mm -hmm. talked about on this podcast. And so, I'm just throwing this. I, I don't think this would happen, but I'm. It's you can't say it would never happen. That all of a sudden the U.S. bans Bitcoin and crypto. They do this. Uh, they just choke off your ability to get uh, for the on ramps and off ramps. Okay, well maybe the BRICS countries adopt it mm-hmm. and become the leader in that. Maybe Africa becomes a leader in that. But but more like you know, the BRICS would be a bigger threat to the U.S. Right. Right. If China, Russia. Uh, Brazil, South Africa, India's in that mm-hmm. also. It's a lot. It's a it's a pretty big chunk of the world's population. And then you may get a bunch of the Middle East countries in that. You may get 
the African countries in that. And all of a sudden, the U.S. goes from the dollar being the world reserve asset to being, I don't want to say somewhat isolated, but I'm going to say somewhat isolated. Or more isolated than it more is. More isolated. So <laughs> it's not a... It's not one this this idea that if we crush it and we choke it off that we win, we being U.S. government, mm-hmm. right? You don't know because it's that weird incentive structure and it's completely open. So, yeah, there, I, I mean that it's is a, it's it, and and one thing I do want to bring up, uh, Hester Pierce did say that they are people at the SEC whose sole job it was to study Bitcoin and crypto. Yes. Right. That's all they do all day, basically. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't mind that job. And uh, so I, I will say this. I thought she was a very intelligent and thoughtful person. Yeah. Undeniably intelligent and thoughtful. I'd, I'm just going to leave it at that. And she had the ability to think through some things. She was actually thinking through some things with the altcoins that I thought was pretty smart. I don't think we need to get into that, but the point no. is she's, she's thought through this on numerous levels and there is that weird game theory built in, which is great. If we, if we kill it, what does someone else do? And then do we have to come back in later? And right. where are we in that position? If we have to come back in as like a second tier player, you think the U S wants to be a second tier player in the world of digital assets in the world of anything in the world of anything. Right. <laughs> but particularly in the world of money. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's uh, it's going to play out. And one last thing I'd like to add, I think, before we end this spot was that she said that she thought it was quite sad that the people involved in the space were constantly talking about regulation. Mm-hmm. That they weren't talking about innovation, but had a bigger focus on regulation. And I thought that was pretty insightful too. Yeah, that was insightful. I, I think that's um, you know, the the point there is that if it wasn't something that all of these builders had to worry about, what more could they be building? And, you know, we would be light years ahead of where we are now, um, which, you know, you look at, at the state of, of Bitcoin and everything built around it, you know, look at it now compared to 10 years ago. And, you know, it's crazy, but imagine if there was regulatory clarity in place that would allow people to, be able to focus on innovation without having to worry about whether or not whatever they're building might not be allowed to be built at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, to add to what you said there, if we take everything in Bitcoin in like four year cycles, mm-hmm. where were we in 2019? And in my opinion, it's we're, we're sort of light years. It may be four years in calendar time, but we're kind of light years away in terms of the industry. Sure. And in terms of adoption and in terms Mm of, um, you know, new things that have, that have happened, you know, both lightning network, lightning network, the, you know, the way that mining has played out, um, some of the energy, uh, components to to mining that, you know, I don't, I don't think, uh, four or eight years ago, anybody was really considering, you know, how you might use Bitcoin mining to stabilize the electricity grid. Um, not that nobody, had thought of it, but it wasn't really in the, in the forefront of the conversation in any way. Um, so all of these ideas that, you know, just show you how creative 
humans can be when they have something new to work with. Um, it's mm -hmm. pretty, I, in my, you know, I think it's, it's astounding what's been accomplished in, in a short time. Right. And we're, I think we, you and I both have more homework to do on Noster, mm -hmm. but uh, I do know that their social media app was in the app store. And so not just in the Bitcoin realm and not just with lightning, but where are some of these other second, third uh, layer projects, particularly Noster in four years from now? Yeah. Right. How how robust are those? What's going on with the Lightning Network? It's 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 almost difficult, I think, to look ahead four years in this industry because where a lot of things don't really change that fast, this changes very fast. And if we want to contrast that with something like, let's just say, I'll let you pick anything from the Fang stocks, Apple, Google, whatever. Let's just take Apple. So four years ago is 2019. I wonder. I bet there's 20% of the people in the U.S. walking around with an iPhone from 2019. Not that they bought it in 2019, but that that mm -hmm. model they have came out in 2019, right? 2019 technology. Yeah. And and if you think about it, is your iPhone really different from what it was four years ago? Not really. Camera's better. It's faster. Has more storage. I mean, not since the home button went away. Right. 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 <laughs> Face ID. Yeah. So, but if you if we and Google, is Google really any different than it was four years ago? We have chat AI now, but that's not yeah. really part of those companies. And that is a, that's a monumental shift that I can't, that's can't quite get my head around because who can? Yeah. It's um, but I'm saying that like Microsoft's offerings are the same. Facebook is probably identical, except now they have reels that they didn't right. have before, right? <laughs> a, a vertical video that's a for a shorter amount of time to try and compete with TikTok. That's their big innovation. So, you know, we look at the innovation in this space and it's hard to keep up with. And I know that actually a Bitcoin conference in Miami is, I think, uh, 97 days away, something, mm -hmm. something silly like that. But it's, 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 it's going to be here before you know it. And I know that every year when we go there, one of our objectives is to visit the vendors and try and keep up with the innovation, to see what people are building, the things yeah. that you don't see online. And I don't know what we're going to see this year, but I know there could be some things there that you know are pretty surprising. That the innovation, the innovation there, you do see quite a bit, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. For sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. You want to move on? Yeah. All right. So the next subject is something that, that I personally know very little about. I'm just starting to, to dig into it a bit, and that is the ordinals. And there's been a bit of controversy with this. So Matt, if you don't mind, get us started with what you know about the ordinals so far. Yeah, and, and I'm also going to qualify this, which is that conceptually I understand it. I don't understand it technically really at all. Um, but I think the best way to describe it is that it's ordinals and inscriptions, which are kind of, they kind of go together and ordinal is like, um, you know, the difference between an ordinal number and a cardinal number is that like an ordinal is how you rank something, um, numerically. So, you know, something's first, second, third is ordinal. Whereas if you're counting, um, you have, you know, you have three rocks in your hand, um, you know, that's cardinal. The third rock would be ordinal. 
Um, so as it relates to Bitcoin, there's this concept that you can, in theory, memorialize every Satoshi in some hierarchy. Um, going back to the very first Satoshi that ever entered a block, um, you know, when a, when a block reward is, is achieved, uh, th that number of Satoshis goes into that transaction. Um, there is no input. That's the only Bitcoin transaction that doesn't have an input is the block reward. So the idea with ordinals is that there is some hierarchical way to um, figure out the ranking of a certain Satoshi down to you know, a, you know, there's 2.1 quadrillion Satoshis that will ever exist. And you could number each one of those and pinpoint it to a, to a point in time. Um, so it gives you the ability to like memorialize a certain thing um, based on where that Satoshi sits in the order of time. Um, so, you know, an example I saw was like, you could say, okay, well, um, I, I sold my house on this date and I wanted to memorialize it. I can use that point in time in the blockchain to memorialize it. That's the ordinal. Um, and then the other piece is that is, has caused some controversy is the concept of inscriptions, which is the ability to put data into otherwise unused block space. So if you go back to the block size wars of 2017, before, you know, when SegWit was um, implemented, it allowed you to separate the, you know, the kind of the transaction data from the, what they call the witness, which is like the, um, the part that doesn't have to do with the transaction, the signature or whatever. So, signature. so there's, um, so there's data, there's space within that, that witness that allows you to, um, you know, fill it up up to the size limit of the block and what that has allowed people to do is to put various forms of data whether that's a jpeg or some other um you know you could put a script in there that you could extract and run um you know you could actually write software into that space um, if you use a little enough space um so essentially it gives you the ability to almost like create an nft on the blockchain is, is mm -hmm. the easiest way to it's the easiest analogy um you know you could put a, a jpeg into a block and utilize existing space to do that so where it's become controversial is that um by doing this you're using up space within a block that might otherwise be available for monetary transactions so there's a there's kind of one school of thought that says this is not a you know a preferred use of the blockchain people shouldn't be doing this um or of the bitcoin blockchain specifically um that mm -hmm. people shouldn't be doing this because it's not you know bitcoin is a monetary network and this is um, not monetary in nature and mm -hmm. it's you know it's not helpful to the overall size of the blocks and people running nodes are going to run out of disk space faster and it's just a waste of time and the other school of thought is that well the software allows you to do it um, the space is there to do it you have to pay a fee to do it because um, in order to get a transaction into a block you have to pay a fee and, you know, depending on, on what miners want to pick up those transactions, um, you have to set the fee high enough to where it'll end up in a block. So, you know, the argument being that if you want to put a piece of data in into a transaction and 
a miner is willing to include that transaction within that block, then that's a free market uh, activity and people should be allowed to do that um, because that's what the code says you can do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So those are kind of the two, the, the two schools of thought there. Okay. So I have a few questions. Okay. That I may or may not be able to answer. Uh, I, I, let's <laughs> see where it goes. I'm just curious. Um, so you mentioned that you're only allowed to use the leftover space in the block. Is that correct? Well, you, it's the ability to use available space in the block. Now, I, what I don't know technically is if, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, if, if it, that would only end up in the, you know, you've got like this, I guess it's a four megabyte block size maximum. I think it's like something but like that's, that. That's with it, SegWit. I think, right. the, I think we'd, for this discussion, we probably should think about it more around two megabytes. But even if we decide, even if we go to four, I, I wanted to actually think about it both on two and four for this. Um, uh, but to answer your question, I don't know exactly where in the in the transaction that data sits. If if it can sit in in the you know transaction data section of the block or the witness section of the block or both, I don't know. I don't know if it's but, any free space. And I think it actually may be any free space because if I recall, and again, somebody more technical than me might correct me, but I believe mm -hmm. that it's really that you reserve a certain amount of space in the block for the transaction data and then the rest mm -hmm. of it is free. So it kind of doesn't matter. Like you could, you know, whatever is not used for a transaction is still available for other things. So I think to the extent, because you could, in theory, you could take, you know, you could send one Satoshi and attach a, a file to it or, you know, a, a script um, where you're not really sending much value in the process or any value in the process, um, but you're still sending that data. Um, so I don't think it, it really matters if it's which section of the block it's in per se. But, but what I'm trying to understand is, is, is it, is the use of these ordinals, bumping out transactions or is it saying okay here are the transactions that we have there's of the i'll just say you know, 225k left in this block and so someone can put in a jpeg well i, I don't think i don't think it's that i think um i think what it is the the controversy around it is that it's making it's going to make blocks bigger Mm -hmm. And it's going to make fees higher. Mm -hmm. um, no, I, I, I get and so that. that. And so um, it's it's not that. Yeah, yeah. It's the the issue is that if your average block, if your average block size right now is about two megabytes, mm -hmm. um, you know. And here I'll, I've got. I'll pull up mempool. Um, you know, the, the last several blocks I'm looking at are between 1.4 and 2.3 megabytes. And, and so if you have the ability to, to use up to four megabytes, if you're, if mm. your average is two, um, but now you start making it to where the average is closer to four, then, you know, you could theoretically double the size of the blockchain, um, Okay, and so is that really a big deal with the way that storage is increasing? It's not, um, and I've seen some math done on this, is that even if, if you went to four megabytes for every single block, 
um, you know, it, it would still be, I think it would still be decades before you needed to, you know, get more than a one terabyte hard drive. Or right. Something. Like right. it's, you know, I, I don't, those aren't the exact numbers, but, sure. but it's when you, when you map out the, you know, 10 minutes per block and the size of the block and how much actual space that is, mm. it's, um, it, it's not in any way threatening to the, uh, right. to the size of, of blockchain. Not at all, which is one of the geniuses about that small block size that you mm -hmm. couldn't expand it. And then the other thing I'm thinking about this is, well, what do you want to put in there? And why would you want to put it there? Because you're, how big do you think the biggest file that someone could use for something like this would be? Well, I mean, the block size is only four megabytes. Right. So, I mean, it's, or two three, megabytes, it's right? three point something megabytes. Right. So, but I'm saying like a part of that's going to be used with transactions. That doesn't leave you a ton of room. So, if you want to store like a, a 250K text file, right. It's, I guess you can. I mean, I don't know why. I, I don't know why you want to pay fees to do that because they're going to charge you to do that. And maybe it's a vanity project or something. I don't, well, I think know. that's, and I think that's what it comes down to is that a lot of this is just, you know, it's, it's a it's gimmicky in a way it's a, it's something that can be done um and i think that a lot of people are worked up about it because they think it's a poor use of of bitcoin um but at the same time you know let the free market decide ultimately <laughs> if you know if somebody if, if everybody wants to pay high fees to uh to have their text file encoded in a in a bitcoin transaction then let them pay those inflated fees to do that and you know right. and i think you know realistically over time it's, there's not going to be there are better ways to do that than to do it you know using bitcoin in my opinion uh, that's same thought i have is that okay maybe it's kind of a gimmicky thing right now it, it does really have a really what's the long-term market for this and it, it's minimal at best because you can't store very much. Yeah. And you can't and look, store, a, like, uh, I think a picture from your iPhone is about three megabytes. Yeah. I was going to say most, most pictures on a cell phone are probably, you know, pushing up against that. You couldn't put mm -hmm. a normal, you know, high def picture, um, into, into a block without using up most of the block. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's, there's not, from that standpoint, there's not much practicality to it. Um, and you could view it. And if you look at, you know, a lot of these um, uh, NFTs that went for a lot of money, you know, a couple of years ago, um, they're not high definition graphics or anything like that. They're just, you know, rudimentary JPEGs for the most part. So if that's what you want to put in the blockchain, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people will find that to be silly. Some people might have an affinity for it for whatever reason, but you know, I, I'm not personally that concerned about it long term. I don't think it's a good use long term, and I think the market will will shake that out. How do people make money on it? Like, if it's going to be there, it's it's going to be difficult to survive if there isn't some kind of uh, way that people are going to make money on it. Yeah. Um, you mean the people that are generating this content that they're encoding in transactions? Right. 
I mean, we have Valentine's Day coming up. Maybe you want to say, you know, you, 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 you know, you love your girlfriend or wife on there, right? <laughs> and that takes 10K or something like that. And, and she gets like, what, a certificate? You get a, you get a, that tells you that you put on the chain. And then what can you do? You get, with a, it? You get a Bitcoin address and you copy that into your, uh, right. Yeah, into your mempool. And <laughs> yeah, it's going to be hot on yeah. Valentine's Day. <laughs> uh, so, QR code. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I just don't know to what end this this has any kind of real viability long term, and maybe it'll be some niche thing that some um, you know. Like well, look if somebody programmers want to do. If but, somebody tuned in and heard the last you know thirty seconds of that, you could be talking about any NFT. Right. right. It, it's not the fact. The only difference here is that it's sitting on the Bitcoin blockchain and potentially taking up, you know, space. Um, so, you know, I, th I think all of those types of things end up in the same place, which is that either people value them or they don't. And the result, you know, is reflective of that. Yeah, I I, I think uh, I was going to do a deeper dive into this and, and thinking it through. In real time, right here, I'm just going to be a little patient. I don't think it needs attention right now. If this starts to become a thing, then I think you can uh, devote some valuable and scarce time towards it. But as of right now, um, it's a nothing it burger. Yeah, it seems like a nothing <laughs> burger. Yeah, for sure. That's how I see it. Um, I mean, I think it's also, it is an interesting, um, it is an interesting study on unintended consequence consequences, though. Mm -hmm. Um, because the ability to do this, and again, this is getting more technical than, than I am, but, um, I believe that the implementation of taproot and some of the, um, Merkle trees and, the, and those aspects of, of Bitcoin, um, that, that changed with, with taproot, um, you know, helped to facilitate the ability to do this, um, or to do it more easily. Um, and so I think a lot of people are saying, well, you know, there's no reason within the code that this can't be done, but it certainly wasn't something that was contemplated when, uh, when they implemented Taproot. Right. And I, I, like I said, it, I, as of right now, I'm going to just relax on this a bit. Um, I, I, I don't see much long-term threat here to the block to the bitcoin blockchain by people trying to take up some of the unused block space even if they bump the size of the average block up by 50 percent. right yeah i'm with you it's amazing how tiny blocks are isn't that incredible mm -hmm. that in 2023 a bitcoin block is essentially two megabytes yeah um and i mean that's you know we can uh we can talk a little bit about why um, that's so important because what that does is that gives anybody the ability to have their own copy of the entire blockchain mm -hmm. sitting on a one terabyte hard drive, you know, without having to worry about it running out of space anytime soon. And, mm -hmm. you know, and for those of you who, who are, you know, new to Bitcoin, who aren't running your own node, you absolutely should be doing that. Um, and the, the reason that it's so easy to do that is because, um, the size is something that, you know, you can do with, with very limited amount of, of storage. You want to hear something crazy? Yeah. Uh, I had to just look this up. So I had to just buy a new external hard drive for just some 
extra storage. My old one is, is starting to tell me that it's having some issues. And so I bought a new five terabyte external hard drive. Mm-hmm. Bought on Amazon. I don't even know what brand it is. One of the major brands. It was, you know, frequently purchased one. I didn't put a lot of time and effort into it, but it was $90. Unbelievable. And that's five terabytes. And that's, and so then I also looked up. Like, SSD? No. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a platter drive. Yeah. But, um, but the point is that you can buy five terabytes for $90, you know, a little portable USB drive. And then I just looked up, you can buy a one terabyte micro SD card on Amazon for $160, $159. A one terabyte micro SD card for $159. It's really amazing. So when we talk about the block size of Bitcoin, and we think about how long it will take for the for the size to really become a problem. It, it is a five terabyte micro SD card, let's say a three terabyte micro SD card, one hundred and fifty nine dollars five years from today. Uh, no, maybe I don't know. I mean, it's it's possible we're going to see that, right? The micro SD cards are still just going to get bigger and bigger. Oh yeah. And you know, uh, for people who don't know what a micro SD is, it's a tiny, tiny little card that you put in some phones and some uh, little video cameras and things like that. It's not a standard right. SD card. It's the tiny, tiny card that they used to, they're in cell phones or used to be in cell phones. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really astounding, that that technology that can pack. I, I mean, it would be kind of interesting to see the smallest Bitcoin node you could possibly build in physical size. What is the absolute smallest Bitcoin node you can build? Uh, you mean in, in physical size? In physical size. Just for a weird thought experiment. Maybe it's a silly thought experiment. But when we just think about how little power is needed to run a Bitcoin node, mm-hmm. it's it's also quite remarkable because... I know that you run uh, you run a node, I run a node. We both run it on Raspberry Pis, mm-hmm. right? Where we're not running it on a real computer. I right. used to run a real computer, but I think the Raspberry uh, Pi does a great job. Yeah. Although I, I know the Raspberry Pi is a real computer, but I well, think you know, that, it's all relative, right? I mean, right. But I'm saying this is we we basically bought a little put it together kit, right? Of parts. Uh, with a very, very low power, inexpensive computer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a high power chip in it. I mean, compared to the computers of 20 years ago, it's, sure, it's certainly I mean, viable. But it's, My it's first a, computer had 20K of RAM. This one has, you know, eight gigs. So Exactly. So, you know, there's, uh, it, it, it's, it, my point here is that it requires to run an Ethereum node, who knows what you need? I don't think we really know. I think I don't it's know very the, extensive. I, don't know the, no. I know Jameis. Yeah. Yeah. To run a full archival node of Ethereum, I believe, is almost impossible unless you're doing it with like you know, commercial center. grade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when we compare that to Bitcoin, and even if we think about what might happen here with Bitcoin and these ordinals, is that it requires sort of the a minimally functional computer and a minimal amount of storage space. Mm-hmm. And um, that's 
pretty amazing. And that's what's being used to verify the network are these really easy, cheap, low power computers. Right. They don't have to do much. I mean, you know, the the most the hardest lift they'll ever do is just downloading the blockchain for the first time. And, you know, by a factor of a hundred, right? Yeah. And yeah, other than that, it hard. just it just runs and you right, know. right. Um all right. What uh what else you got? I think that's good for me. I I uh I personally got a lot out of that when it came to the the ordinals. And I and we saw the fireside chat on Monday night. Yeah. And I hadn't spent that much time really thinking it over. I know you and I have not really chatted about it and uh, thought that was helpful too. Yeah. So I'm good. All right. Well, um, I guess I will uh, let everybody know where they could find us. Thank you. Um, our website is btcbutlers.com. We're at btcbutlers on Twitter. You can email us info at btcbutlers.com. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast please like subscribe um tell your friends send us emails or questions we'd love to talk about any topics of interest um and then bitcoin butlers can uh help you implement best practices as a bitcoin owner um you know we subscribe to the five best practices of buying storing inheritance planning running your own node and uh keeping everything up to date and uh are happy to help you do any of those things um please reach out Thank you, Matt. All right. Till next time. Bye.